Hello and welcome to the first episode of Thrive in the New World, a six-part series of podcasts brought to you by Ulster Bank. I'll be your host, Sarah Travers, and throughout this series, I'll be speaking with local entrepreneurs and business owners to learn more about the many ways startups and established businesses from across Northern Ireland are adapting in these unique times. We'll hear about how these companies came to be, gaining insight into their growth, and how they continue to innovate and adapt in today's world. So wherever you get your podcasts from, remember to keep an eye out for new episodes over the next six weeks and subscribe to stay up to date. Today, I'm joined by Sinead Murphy, founder and CCO of Schnuggle. Sinead, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. You're very, very welcome. Um, If we were to look at the development of a business in its early years, the same way we look at the key stages of child development, then we could say Schnuggle set the pace on its milestones. The company designs clever baby products. Its purpose, to make life easier and safer for new and growing families. Like many great business ideas, Schnuggle was born out of experience when Sinead and her husband and co-founder Adam became parents for the first time. In the decade the business has been trading, it has amassed an impressive list of industry awards and last year it added to that list again when the company was recognised in the prestigious Queen's Awards for Enterprise for its success in international trade. And more recently, Schnuggle hit the headlines again when they spearheaded a collective of Northern Ireland companies producing the Hero Shield, important PPE for those essential workers. But we'll have more on that in just a moment. Sinead, before we launch into the business chat, on a personal level, how have you been finding lockdown? That is a big question, Sarah. Um, I think probably like lots of parents and parents who are still trying to um, work, it has been very challenging. I have been running uh, school from the kitchen table for three children. Um, So that has been, yes, a new experience. So you find good balance then between work life and family life. I mean, how has work suffered in all of this? Um, it, I think probably the biggest difference to before lockdown is just that the day hasn't really had the same edges. So we've been trying to get the, the kids' schoolwork underway and, and sort of, you know, give them a few hours of, of education each day while trying to answer emails and, you know, taking phone calls, having board meetings on Zoom at the kitchen table. Um, what do we of, do before Zoom? I don't know. I'm just glad that, well, you know, if we had to have a lockdown, it happened now when we have reasonable IT facilities and we've been able to stay connected. I think if it had happened 10 years ago, it would be quite a different story. Yes, definitely. The technology has been there to enable this pivot and adapt uh, businesses that we, we've seen and we're going to talk a bit more about that but just to take listeners back a little bit if they're not familiar with Schnuggle so let's go right back to 2009 when Schnuggle launched its first product what was it and how did it come about Okay, it seems like quite a long time ago now but I suppose 10 years, it isn't that long Um, we had fairly recently become parents at this stage we were actually parents to two young children Um, 
we were using baby products, just traditional products that every mum and dad um, uses, and we were starting to have ideas for making products better. Um, the first product we created was the modern Moses basket. So the basket we had for our firstborn creaked and rustled whenever she moved, and the hood never stayed up, and it was difficult to no, clean, yeah. and it just, you know, it, I mean, it served its purpose, but we decided to um, try and make a, a, a more modern version of the Moses basket. So we did a bit of research, asked other parents um, just informally what they would like from a Moses basket. And that's that's how we developed the Schnuggle modern Moses basket. And you must have realised you were onto a bit of a winner when you're going into a market that sells baby products. It is. I have to say it's a market that's been very kind to us. Thankfully, it's one of those areas where people keep having babies, even in recessions, (laughs) even in hard times. So at the time, we didn't really realise what a great industry it was to enter into. And we're very grateful um, now that that we chose the baby industry because it's just it's so full of innovation and people are constantly trying to come up with with new products and better products. So it's very exciting space to be in. Now, your purpose is very clear, and that is to design products that make life, you say, safer and easier for babies and their carers. Okay, so you started with the Moses basket, but you're coming into to a world that you really knew nothing about apart from first-hand experience with your own children. Yeah. Um, but can you tell me how you developed the products? Yes, I I guess the way we develop the products now has has matured somewhat and we have a lot more processes in place but but the core principles have always been the same taking existing baby products talking to customers about what they like about those products but then also challenging the areas that can be improved and making them better um, also making the products more stylish people are, are you know put so much effort into their new homes that they're they're sort of building together and baby products should fit that new look that they've created so we wanted products that were going to be full of innovation um, safer than than a lot of other products on the market but also that looked really stylish so I'd imagine you know when you're testing these products you know obviously people their little babies are their most precious possessions Absolutely. Um, what do you have to go through in terms of rigorous testing to make sure that they're fit for market fit for purpose There are a huge number of tests, as you would imagine, Um, probably some of the strictest, uh, you know, you you could see in in any um, area of of business. There are European standards. We have some separate tests just for the UK. Now that we're exporting products into lots of other markets, we're actually having to to pass maybe 20 different types of of tests for, for the one product, which is, you know, it's challenging, it can be expensive, but it just gives us great peace of mind that even more test houses are, are having to, to give our, our products a stamp of, of approval, and they all come at it in a slightly different way. Obviously, working with your husband uh, must be a challenge. I'm sure you absolutely yes. love it, but you know, there's kind of maybe there's no no separation at all between work and home life. But what were you doing beforehand? What were your backgrounds before you you teamed up and, and formed Snuggle? Before Snuggle. Um 
My husband was working in engineering, so we actually met at university. He was studying engineering, I was studying psychology, and he was working in sort of management positions, you know, designing large products, um, injection molding companies like Kingspan. So that's that's where he was based. I was working in not-for-profit organizations, managing and delivering debt advice services for people in financial difficulties. Wow. So really quite far removed from the business, but we felt that we had enough experience and transferable skills that we could bring those to um, Schnuggle. Um, so I guess my background was trying to promote not-for-profit services and, and reach lots mm -hmm. of people and, and, and tell them about the service. And, and then Adam's um, background was more in the design and the engineering. So we, we kind of thought maybe with our, with our powers combined, we, we could be onto something. And can you remember that actual moment when you looked at each other and said, shall we do this? Shall we give up the other jobs and go for it? Yes. <laughs> Yes, there was a bottle of wine involved. <laughs> there I usually have to say. is. Um, <laughs> yes, and even just coming up with the name Schnuggle, I can still remember. You know, I can picture myself sitting on the sofa and just going through lots of different names and trying to conjure up a name that would kind of encompass just the coziness and the quietness of of the Moses basket. Because at that stage, we were just focused on one product. We never imagined that we would have a, a, a full range of products. You know, I think typically when, when you start a company like that, you tend to just focus on your first um, design. And so that's where the, the name Schnuggle came from. It's a great, it's a great word, isn't it, Schnuggle? Yes. Um, so where would you say you are now as a company compared to the decade ago? I mean, you've added another baby to your brood as well, but as a company, how have you grown? We are almost unrecognizable i would say versus 10 years ago um I, we're so focused on just you know as with most companies the next target the next step that it's not very often you look back but it i think um it's it's quite useful to look back and and see where you've come from we were um, both working full-time we had two small children we were quite tired, but I don't know, maybe it was youth or something. Um, we seemed to have adrenaline. enough energy, adrenaline, yeah. coffee. Um, so we would put the kids to bed and we would assemble Moses baskets in the living room or in the garage wow. and then ship orders just from our home. So my mum actually helped assemble the Moses baskets in the garage. <laughs> I don't believe um, you. Yes, it really was a family effort in the very early days. Um, but we were still, you know, managing our, our careers, really, and, and trying to balance the two. We reached a stage where we thought, OK, this is too much. We'd been doing it for a few years and, and we were exhausted. And we thought we either have to close up Snuggle or we need to do it full time and do it properly. So we made the decision then to um, I actually left my job first and Adam carried on working just to keep an income coming in while we tried to build up Snuggle. So I was working on my own. I had a, a little office unit in Newtonards, just myself, um, with some pallets and some Moses baskets on, and I would pack them and, and ship them off and, and sort of make cold calls to, to nurseries to see if they wanted to buy some Snuggle products. That is uh, absolutely incredible when you, you know, when you look back now and you think, how did we manage all of that? The busiest time in your lives. But anybody that starts a business, it, it's really, it's the hard work. So then presumably you had to start employing people. That's really where you, where it goes to a whole different level. Yes. So who did you take on? Um, 
the first kind of significant um, member of our team was really um, his name's David, and he still works with us. Well, that's good news. Glad to say, Hello, David. Um, he is now our head of operations and right. runs our warehouse and, and a team of people. Um, he he joined us really just generally supporting us with sales and invoicing and and um, shipping orders, anything that we needed help with. Um, and we had a really small office space, just the three of us. And that was quite a, a significant moment to, to bring somebody else in to, to a business that was really just a husband and wife team. Um, fast forwarding to now, we have uh, a larger office space and our own warehouse in still in Newtonards. Um, we have a team of 16 people. Wow. Um, we have a much larger portfolio of, of baby products and we sell into over 40 countries now. So yeah, the last 10 years, it has been um, lots of ups and downs, lots of challenges, but thankfully, babies continue to be born and people like our products so, so you know far so good so far so yes, good the babies will 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 keep coming um obviously the biggest perhaps economic challenge ever has hit the world how have you been impacted by COVID-19? And I know that we spoke back in March at a big conference we had a great chat at the time when I don't think here in Northern Ireland, we had realised what was just around the corner. But you had already been impacted by COVID because your product was made in China. Exactly. In So in January, really, it, when it, it first hit China, we were getting ready to ship lots of extra products into our warehouse in, in the UK because Chinese New Year was coming up. So typically, most companies would do that. They want to overstock um, because they know the factories are going to be shutting down for a couple of weeks. So we did that as normal and we're so grateful that we did because that break that the factories typically take in China was extended and then it was extended and they went into full lockdown. So our customers in Asia that we actually sell to also went into lockdown. So they were cancelling their orders from us and then also our factories were stopping production of products. But we were so fortunate that we had filled our warehouse with stock purely because of the time of year that it was um, and we would normally do that. Um, but the rest of the UK, the rest of Europe hadn't gone into lockdown. Our colleagues out in China were telling us how awful it was for them and they were asking us why we weren't going into lockdown. Um, I guess it, it hadn't properly hit Europe at that stage. But then as China started to come back out of lockdown and started to recover and, and production picked up again, we were then going into our own lockdown in Gosh. Europe and then orders from our European customers were all being cancelled. So you were hit basically twice? Yes. Wow. And how do you feel you've coped with the, those two massive shocks then, that, that double whammy? I think we've coped as, as well as, as you can do. It, it, was, it was stressful. It just all normal rules kind of went out the window. It, it was purely about survival. It was trying to preempt what might be coming. So we stopped all non-essential spending on marketing. We reduced our, our staff's working hours and, and, and salaries down to 80%. We asked our landlord if we could have a bit of a break on our rent for a few months. So this was sort of at the very beginning of the lockdown. We just didn't know how badly we were going to be hit. So we tried to just, I guess, to protect the cash we had in the business. 
meanwhile applying for all the schemes that were available like the furloughing of staff we only furloughed our R&D team and and a couple of members of the warehouse team because we we thought we still need to focus on selling the stock that we've managed to get into the warehouse and marketing to keep the brand alive but the marketing was was really about content it was more thoughtful digital information really we wanted to reach out to to pregnant women who were maybe at home and feeling quite frightened by the whole thing mm -hmm. so our our approach even to to how we sell products changed mm -hmm. and it was really more about staying connected with everyone but the byproduct was thankfully that people at home in the UK continued to buy and our and our website sales were really strong. Fantastic. Sinead, going forward, will you change the way that you operate? I know that the bulk of your manufacturing is done in China, but you know, with supply chains perhaps being interrupted, learning from COVID nineteen, do you plan to change where you manufacture the product? At the moment, I think we, I guess we don't want to make any major changes, but we're certainly keeping an open mind going forward. We we have always tried to find other places to manufacture as well as China. Um, some of our, our products, our Moses baskets, actually manufactured in Kent, but it's difficult to compete in, in the market with all of the other larger brands because they manufacture in China. So it's almost a case that we all need to move and we all need to... to to take up our production locally to be able to, to compete with each other on a, on a level playing field. But it, it did make us question, you know, the risk involved in, in having all of your production in one country if it is hit um, by, by some sort of pandemic. But, um, you know, it, it ended up that every country went into lockdown. So even if we had moved our production somewhere else, it, it would have been in lockdown and, and not maybe wouldn't have recovered as quickly as, as China did. Um, they, they managed to, to come out the other side relatively quickly. I think it's something we'll keep under review, definitely. Um, and we would love to be able to, to produce more locally. Um, but it's it's so difficult on, on kind of keeping the, the products competitive and, and offering the prices to the consumer that, that they want to pay. I think a lot of people have learned an awful lot about themselves during this period. Um, and maybe a few months down the line or years down the line, we'll be able to reflect a little more on what we learned. Do you think you learned a lot about yourself as a leader, as you know, somebody in business in Northern Ireland that's good at making decisions in a crisis? I, I suppose I did. I, I think um, it seems to be the area where I, I tend to come into my own, which I didn't really realise about myself. Um, I think under normal circumstances, um, I think, you know, we, we do a good job leading leading the business. Obviously, we're not perfect and, and we're constantly learning. But during this, I think it was almost quite liberating to be able to just clear all the normal rules that apply to life, to business and to purely focus on the priorities. And, and that enabled us to just make some really quick decisions that helped to protect the company and protect the jobs, um, you know, of the team. So the market was still there. People were still having babies. They still wanted your product. And yes, being at home a lot, you know, online shopping meant that you could uh, meet those needs and meet the demand for yes. the product. 
But on top of all of this, you were meeting another demand out there. Um, there was a call, obviously, from the government. The news was full of the need for protective clothing and equipment for our essential workers. And the Hero Shield initiative was born out of that. Can you tell us how that happened? Yes. It, I think, like so many people, we were watching the news, feeling quite emotional at times, quite helpless about what was happening, you know, hearing the news that there wasn't enough PPE, we tried to think, well, what what can we do? What skills do we have to offer in some small way um, rather than feeling completely helpless? We we saw that people were were stepping up and becoming volunteers and calling in on, on the elderly. You know, everyone really seemed to be stepping up. So we decided to um, really project manage Hero Shield and put a call out to lots of, of local businesses just to see who was able to help, um, who had maybe the skills or the resources that we didn't have to produce um, face shields. And we wanted to give them for free to anyone that needed them, really. Um, and the key was we needed to do it quickly. It and what was the reaction be. then from the, from the companies and from the The community? reaction was overwhelming. It was unbelievable. It, companies, people just offering to drive product, you know, deliveries, people that were just sitting at home with a car. We had large factories offering to do all of the the production for us, the printing packaging if we needed it. We had volunteer organizations like the Blood Bikers um, who, who, you know, deliver um, blood in emergencies and they stepped up and, and offered to deliver the shields out to houses for us. So I think... I think it was just a lot of people felt helpless and wanted to just wanted contribute to in some way. And, and it was it was quite humbling to see everyone kind of pulling together. And very emotional too. Um, maybe you're watching the, the news now and you see one of your shields being worn. What was that like? We... It's, I guess it's just, it's, it's nice to think that we were able to help in some way um, and to facilitate lots of other people to be involved in, in a kind of a group effort. Uh, so many people felt frustrated but didn't know how to help. And I think Hero Shield gave some people um, the chance to, to really get involved and to also walk away from this feeling that, that they played their part. Um, so it is, it's lovely to see the, the shields, uh, we see them sort of popping up on the news every so often um, and it, it's it's quite, yeah, it's quite nice. It was actually our um, our head of our design team at Schnuggle who designed the shield sort of from a Friday night to a Monday morning. She had done a, a sort of printed version of one um, prototype and then we got it into production really, really quickly. So a very, very quick turnaround for a project, but time was of the essence. So we had to just do our best and do it as quickly as possible. I'm sure you feel immensely proud. And I believe the initiative recently hit a number of significant milestones. You're probably being a bit modest, but can you tell us about them, Shanae? Yes, well, we um, we were raising some money on um, the sort of GoFundMe page. So we were we were getting donations from members of the public as as well as as some local business owners 
just so that we could kind of cover the costs of the materials for these hero shields. And our goal was was to to get a hundred thousand shields out into the the sort of general population during um, during the the virus and during the peak. And we have we've achieved that one hundred thousand face shields. Wow. We also. Um, got in touch with the NHS and the local buyers for Northern Ireland and they placed um, a significant order for face shields. So we know that um, that a lot of our local frontline staff in, in the NHS are, are receiving the, the PPE that they need. That's incredible. Now we can hear and we've heard how important it was for you to adapt in the circumstances. Um, you stepped up and you, meant, you, you met that challenge, um, helping our essential workers, but you also adapted your business as well. There are a lot of businesses will be tuning into this now and they are struggling to see how to adapt going forward. I was just wondering what advice you would have for them. It's such a huge challenge because there are so many different types of businesses with different restrictions and challenges. I, I think it, it's going to be it's going to be difficult for for some businesses to come out unscathed. But I suppose the advice that that I would give is, at the moment certainly, is to really focus on the government guidelines that have been issued specifically for your industry. As long as you're you're kind of sticking to those, you're gonna you're gonna make your customers feel comfortable, and they're gonna want to engage with you because they know you're taking the the safety side of things very seriously. As well as that, I think it's really listening to your customers and engaging and finding out what they want. They will tell you what they need from your service, and it's it's trying to have that open mind that it might not be the way you've done business before. But there may be a new way of, of delivering the same service um, to your customers, but just in a, in, a, in a different way. What do you feel about the, the phrase, the new normal? I know some people are really against it. We want to go back to the old normal, but I mean, there's no question things have changed. Things have definitely changed. And I, I, don't, I don't know if we will go back to absolute complete normality i think we've all become much more aware of viruses in general and how they spread and and how damaging they can be so even just hygiene and and keeping distances from people and and not being in in kind of crowded places i think is always going to be in the back of our minds certainly for our children it's been a significant portion of, of a lot of younger children's lives, having to socially distance and, and you know watch out for people when you're going out for a walk in the park. So I, I don't see that they're going to forget this. I think they'll just um, adapt, I guess, into their, their new way of, of behaving. I just hope that we get to a stage where we can all relax a little bit, um, remain vigilant, but hopefully get back to a, a normal-ish. What are the positives that you'll take out of this experience? I suppose the positives have been the real sense of community where in any kind of crisis, you know, people have pulled together. It's been quite heartwarming to see. And and I think having the ability to just actually step back and have a bit of a think about the future and a bit of a think about maybe the future direction of of your your business even um, your work-life balance your team you know are we going to insist that our team come back into the office from half eight to five every day like they used to probably not 
Um, so I think what it has done is it's given a lot of businesses the, the kind of forced them to really have a look at how their business runs and, and the flexibility that they can offer to their team and enable their team to have a bit more of a, a balance while still getting the job done. Compassionate, empathetic leadership, I suppose, yes. as well. And yes. you might be able to recruit many more people if you're a little more flexible too, I would have thought. As you've been growing yourself, I suppose, in your business, um, you've talked to me before about the importance of, of having a mentor. Is there anyone in business that you particularly look up to and why? I look up to, I guess we've had a, a couple of, of mentors that, that we have worked with um, personally they are both on our board now actually um we were connected with them through a sort of um local um free to access council run or or um funded business boot camps if you like and that's how we kind of made connections with with those mentors more broadly i guess when I look around and I see any business that is adapting or doing something a little bit differently or coming up with a new idea, I just, I love it. And I, I'm, I'm constantly on the lookout for, for businesses that are just doing something a little bit differently. There, there are no rules. So, you know, it, it's nice to see people just thinking, actually, we've always done it this way, but why not try it a new way? And I, and I suppose those are the companies that are going to thrive coming out the other side of of lockdown um, are those that have kept an open mind and, and have tried to just focus on their customers and, and how they can deliver what their customers are looking for but maybe in a different way. What's next for Snuggle? For Snuggle well I guess we're we're not out of the woods yet I think we're we're quite tentative um, we were very fortunate to have been able to get the business interruption loan and we got it through into the business quite quickly. So that has given us a bit of breathing space. If there are more ups and downs, our export business is starting to pick back up again. UK has remained strong the whole time, which is which is brilliant. We're, we're so grateful. But I don't think we can just expect that that's it. We, we need to be a little bit cautious, um, a little bit mindful, just in case we have to, to have any more lockdown measures um, going forward. Hopefully we've learned so much from the first time round that anything after this is going to be, um, you know, a smaller version. But I think we're, we're being cautiously optimistic about, about the future. The babies keep on coming, <laughs> as, I, as I say quite a lot. Um, so as long as we can focus on more innovation, producing more clever baby products and staying flexible and adapting to whatever comes next, um, hopefully we'll be okay. Wonderful lessons, Sinead. Now, in this series, we want to inspire business owners to adapt and grow. So if you were to summarise your success and the growth of Snuggle in three key points, what would they be? I Three key points. I think the, the first point is it has to be it's just hard work and, and it you know there's no doubt about it it's not um it's not for everyone because you know we were in the very early um stages juggling full-time jobs and then trying to build a business on top of it because it, it takes time on top of that i would say research researching your market researching you know your customers researching i guess what other businesses have done before you and and hopefully learning from other people's mistakes. We, we've also 
tried to keep an open mind in getting other people involved in our business. We could have just stayed at a husband and wife team, but we wouldn't have managed to grow the business the way we have. So we've looked to outside investors, you know, local angel investors. As soon as we did that, it became a, a proper business. You know, we were we were accountable to other people, not just ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that cash injection has has meant that we've been able to grow rapidly and employ people and, and really make a significant company. Um, so I think those are those are the three main points really I would I would I would say is, you know, do your research, keep an open mind about getting help from from outside people. And knowing the right time to take that leap because it does require risk. Yes. Oh absolutely. It's it's considered risk as much as you can um, weighing up the pros and cons but yes a a little bit of risk but the rewards can be um, significant as we've seen and uh, it gives your mum a little bit of a break on the production line of those Moses baskets back in the day it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you Sinead um, uh, Sinead Murphy there from Schnuggle and we wish you Adam and all the team at Schnuggle every success for the future thank you for for sharing those business lessons with us um, and thank you also for meeting that demand and bringing the hero shield to so many essential workers during this crisis this has been the first episode episode of Thrive in the New World, a six-part series of podcasts brought to you by Ulster Bank. I'm your host, Sarah Travers, and I'm inviting you to join me again for the next episode when I'll be joined by Peter McCall, the CEO of Perlay, to learn about how this unique and growing retail analytics company has pivoted to support brick-and-mortar retailers to get customers safely back into stores. Thank you.